It's good to see you all this morning. For about a year, we have been in First and Second Timothy with a break during Advent and some special occasions. And today we come to a close of this study. Um, we are, however, going to be starting our study in Titus, which is another pastoral epistle. And I uh, look forward to that. Next week, uh, Adam is going to start us off uh, with Titus, who was another young minister who had been mentored and discipled by the aging Paul. So we look forward to that. Uh, would you please stand as we read verses 7 of Second Timothy? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Ademus, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescent has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmartia, Luke alone with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander, the carper, uh, coppersmith, did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Pisca and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus stands, uh, sends greetings to you, as do Pundus and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's always remember that there is more power in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. Just before his team left the locker room to play in the national championship in college football at the Fiesta Bowl in 2003, Jim Tressel, the head coach of the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes 
gathered his team for one final talk. And after going over the game plan, he asked this simple question. How do you want to be remembered? Well, it must have worked because they pulled off a great upset against the Miami Hurricanes in double overtime, and they won the national championship. So I want to ask you the same question. What do you hope people will say about you when you're gone? How will people who knew you best summarize your 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years on this earth? It's often been, it's often been asked, what will your dash say about you on your gravestone? Yes, it will say this is when this person was born and when this person died. But the dash, that's what's important because that is how you lived your life. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Theological Seminary did an exhaustive study of biographies in the Bible. And there's approximately 100 Uh, detailed biographies in the Bible. Of that 100, two-thirds of those men and women ended poorly. Either they turned to immorality, or they drifted from the faith, or they ended in a backslidden condition. But Paul is not among that group. And we need to understand that not only did he finish well, but finishing well doesn't just happen. Ligon Duncan is the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. And I chose to use his outline uh, for these questions. He said, if you're going to live the Christian life faithfully, in the end, you are going to be realistic expecting, constant learning, Jesus-leaning, people-appreciating, grace-depending. Now, that summary of these verses caused me to ask questions about myself, and I'd like to ask you the same questions. And so, as we go through these questions, as we move forward toward moving from this uh, life uh, to Uh, our afterlife and hopefully our eternal life, the way that we answer these questions will have an effect on the outcome. Last week, I pleaded with you not to waste your life, to finish well. Today, we're going to ask questions, and hopefully we can answer some of those questions that will help us to finish well. So you might consider this a practical part two to our encouragement and exhortation last week. So here's the first question that I have for you. What do you expect life will be as a Christ follower? Or what did you expect? If you're younger and you're just now in the faith, You have expectations of what this life for the next X number of decades, hopefully, is going to be like. But if you're older, you probably, what did I expect? 
Well, Paul is being realistic here. You know, earlier he said, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. Both metaphors of war and a race imply that we must be disciplined. There are going to be challenges. We need to have courage. There are going to be hardships. We need to have determination. There are going to be struggles. And there's even going to be suffering. Then in verse 9, he tells us this. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Luke alone is with me. Alexander, he did me great harm. In other words, Paul was disappointed in some of the people that he served with. So here's my question to you. Are you prepared for disappointments? Are you prepared for hurt feelings and misunderstandings or even betrayal? Please believe me. You will be disappointed as you walk on this earth. Whether you are a Christ follower or not, people will break your heart. Now, you might say, gee, Neil, thanks for the encouraging words. Here's the picture I really want you to see. Paul is finishing well, but he's realistic about life. Why? Because he looks back at his life and he sees those who have failed. If we think for a moment that once we become a Christ follower or a Christian, that those we love and serve with will not fail you, As they used to say in the 60s and 70s, you're looking through rose-colored glasses. By using that war and race uh, metaphor, there are going to be deserters. There are going to be casualties along the way, some by friendly fire. There will be disabilities. There will be emotional trauma. There will be those who fall out of the race. They will be distracted. They will stumble. They will give up because of lack of conditioning. And these may be some of your closest friends or family members. So here's the question I have for you. Are you going to let their failure keep you from finishing your race? Are you going to allow other people's failures... To cause you not to finish well. I read of a professor of a Christian college, along with his son, decided to go on a thousand mile backpacking trip from British Columbia to Southern California. So, together, as father and son, they hiked through the mountains of Washington, Oregon, and California. For many days, they were on the trail. They camped out above 10,000 feet. 
They faced all kinds of discouragement, lack of food of water, danger from wild animals, danger from robbers that they might meet, rain and mud, physical exhaustion, the possibility of personal injury, not to speak of loneliness and blisters and mosquitoes and extreme heat and extreme cold. But before they left, this professor did a study of all those who had contemplated making a 500-mile hike. And here's what he found. 50% never get started. They begin to look at the 500 miles and they choose less miles or no miles at all. 40% of those who did get started quit after they get started. That leaves only 10% that finish. So he began to study about these 10%. And here's what he found out. First of all, they decided that they weren't going to stop. And second of all, they made up their mind that whatever obstacle came their way, they are not going to be surprised. In other words, they are going to go into the hike expecting bad things to happen. So when the rains turned their trail into a quagmire, they didn't quit because they weren't surprised. And when the black clouds of mosquitoes descended like a plague, they didn't quit because they were not surprised. When they faced days of loneliness and nights of hunger, they didn't quit because they knew that it was coming. In essence, the successful backpackers adopted the mindset that no matter what comes your way, you're going to put one foot in front of the other. So, eventually, they completed their journey. So I'm not being pessimistic when I ask you this question. I am asking you to be realistic so that you can succeed. So that others around you who may fail don't affect you in such a way that causes you to fail. There are unkind and insensitive people in churches. Unkind things are said. A spirit of legalism prevails in some churches instead of love. And, of course, the old hypocrisy. You will see disappointing things. Paul was heartbroken because he saw people abandon their faith for the pleasures of the world. He also knew the devastating results of leaders failing. But Paul is in prison, not failing. By the way, I don't know if you noticed in verse 16 when he said, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted. And then he said, May it not be charged against them. 
Do you hear a prayer of forgiveness there? Folks, for those who disappoint you, you've got to forgive them. And in their failure, you must pray for them. I remember being disappointed and hurt. And one of my best and closest friends here saw that on me. And he asked me, he says, when are you going to forgive? That broke my heart that if he could see it in me, then somehow that was also affecting my ministry in the church. Reminds me of Jesus' words and even Stephen's, the first martyr. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If we want to finish well, we need to have a forgiving heart knowing that people will disappoint us. Second question. To what are you giving your mind to feed and strengthen your soul? In verse 13, he says, When you come, bring the cloak that was I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Now, we don't know what these books were. We don't know what these parchments are. But I want you to think about this. If Timothy can get there and he brings Mark, then you've got Paul, Timothy, Mark, and Luke all together. Two of those wrote the uh, two Gospels. Two of those, Paul and Luke, wrote over half the New Testament. We don't know what those parchments were about. We don't know what books they were about. But I just believe in my heart somehow that it had to do with Scripture and how to move forward. You see, it doesn't matter how old we get or how long we have traveled. Paul is showing us here, never stop learning, never stop reading. And Paul is being surrounded by three young ministers. That tells me that no matter how old we get, we should always be mentoring other people of the next generation. So, what are you feeding your mind? I love Spurgeon. Here's what he said about these verses. How rebuked we are by the apostle. Referring to Paul, Spurgeon says, he is inspired. In other words, probably more than us. Yet he wants the books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, yet he wants the books. He has seen the Lord, yet he wants the books. He has had a wider experience than most men, yet he wants those books. He was caught up in the third heavens. And the scripture even says that he heard things that are unlawful for men to even utter. And yet he wants those books. Paul had written a majority of the New Testament. And yet he wants those books. Folks, we are never too old to stay in the book. And if you want to end well. You need to stay in the book. Three, are we leaning on others more than we 
uh, on Jesus as our source of strength. Verse 16, for uh, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. One of the things that we need to remember that while others will disappoint us, Christ himself doesn't. Unless we are expecting him to give us a smooth ride which nothing in the scripture says that will happen. Second Timothy 2.13. We looked at this several weeks ago. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hebrews ten twenty three. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Then most all of us know these verses from Romans 4. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, or things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then in Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my help, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So who are you leaning on to finish well? Four, how much do you really appreciate those who have encouraged and enriched your life as a Christ follower? Can you name them? Have you expressed to them your sincere gratitude for their contribution in your life? He names these, you can see them on the screen from uh, verse 19 on through the end of the chapter. Paul loved people. He lived in the company of Christian friends. He was always greeting congregations from friends and greeting friends from congregations. He lived with fellow Christians. Folks, most of us desire to love the Lord our God with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. But he also says to love our neighbors ourselves. And though I do want to love the Lord our God with everything, I can say and I can tell you this, that I love you as a uh, Amelia Baptist Church. You are both a challenge and an inspiration. And I thank you for that.
Yes, there have been some major disappointments in nearly 28 years. But this church has loved my family and me. I am a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better minister because God has used you in my life. And I want to thank you for that. Friends, we will not finish the Christian life as well if we separate ourselves from the company of believers. We need one another. Paul appreciated that. I hope that you appreciate that. And let me say how much I appreciate you being here week after week in our worship service. But may I also encourage you and say this. That each of us needs to be a part of a smaller group. To finish well. Last question. Will you depend on your own strength to live as a Christ follower? Or will you depend on His grace to see you through? Have you not found God's grace sufficient? This last verse is a twofold benediction. The Lord be with you and grace be with you. They're not just a formal way to wrap it up. It's what Timothy needs to hear. This last letter has given Timothy a lot of instructions. And now he wants to bless Timothy with reminding him that it's the Spirit of God and God's grace that will see him through. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. These words of amazing grace by John Newton sum up the benediction. These are the last written words that we have from Paul. They are not only words of encouragement for Timothy, they are words of encouragement for us. And they're the very words that we need to hear, some of us, because of what we're going through. Our life in Christ began... All because of His amazing grace. And that will be the theme in the end. You see, it's not only the grace of the past that you receive for salvation. It will always be because of God's amazing grace. That we get through this life. And whatever you're going through or whatever you will go through, if you want to finish well, don't depend on others. Love them and appreciate them. 
but rest in God's grace. As we celebrate communion, we do so remembering God's grace that was expressed in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus poured out his life for us, he extends to us grace and unmerited favor that we would be able to come and be forgiven and reconciled to God. Communion is a time to remember that. Communion is a time very specifically for believers to remember what it cost for us to be believers. So what is this amazing grace, if not the deep, deep love of Jesus? And so in preparation for the Lord's Supper, we're going to stand and we're going to sing as a a song of remembrance and confession that it's not about us and it's not about us taking communion. It's about Christ and us remembering what Christ has done. It's about his love for us and not our love for him. And if you've never experienced his saving love, you can do that even as you sing this song. If you're not a Christian, you say, well, I can't sing it. I'd be hypocritical. Sing it as a confession. God knows your heart. Make it so. Make it real. This is not a time to pull back from faith. This is time to press in with faith. So would you stand with us and would you sing with us?